Those are mighty kind words for a man who grew up on Hike Creek, North Carolina. And if you don't know where Hike Creek is, it's right across the ridge from Plot Creek. That's where the plot hound was uh, developed that is the state dog in North Carolina. And you need to know that. So I came here to tell you. It is good to be with you. I'm extremely humbled. Um, on any given Sunday morning, I'm preaching to, on average, to between 70 and 80 people. So here today, I, I feel like a mule in the Kentucky Derby. You know that story, don't you? There was a farmer who years ago, it was uh, said that he put his mule in the Kentucky Derby and somebody asked him, said, why did you do that? Do you think he's going to win? He said, oh, I don't have any idea he's going to do any good at all. But he said, just look at the company that he's in. <laughs> feel that way today. So I do bring greetings to you from my family, part of whom are with me, along with our son and his wife, Faith, and our grandson, Winchester. That's a family name. Uh, he, uh, our son is in seminary and um, is doing a pastoral internship in South Carolina. And so I want to bring greetings from them, along with Kathy and Sarah and her husband, Hunter, and also from our church, Hazelwood Presbyterian in Waynesville, North Carolina. And by the way, let me say a word from Waynesville. We are extremely grateful to you because you have sent us one of the best police chiefs in the country. Bill Hollingshead, who hails from this area, is our chief of police, and we love him dearly. He is a committed Christian, an active church member, a Sunday school teacher. Uh, chief Ed Doyle knows him, and so I've already been texting back and forth with Chief Hollingshead, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you. We have a wonderful servant leader in Bill Hollingshead. Also want to just thank you for the opportunity to be here. Those kind words that Joe said about me are very kind. But let me say that whatever success I had in chairing Mission to the World, I learned from watching Joe. He uh, was a wonderful chairman and has been a wonderful example to me. And I've counted a privilege to be able to work alongside him and others. So thank you for allowing him to serve our denomination in the way that he does. And to see your missionary teams who are here today, I just want to say a word, uh, Robert and Lisa Stewart. We knew Robert uh, B.L. before Lisa, and uh, it's good to see them here. And your kids, what have you been feeding them? Weren't they just born like two years ago? Gosh, I can't believe this. I, Papa always said it was a sign you're getting older when things like that happen, but it's so great to see you guys and uh, good to be with you. And... Um, Katie Scott, I don't know what part of Macon that you're from, but I want to bring greetings at least from some folks who summer with us up in Western North Carolina. I don't know if you know Gene and George Nottingham or not at First Pres Macon, but uh, it's just good to hear that word. And I wanted to say that so I won't be in trouble with them when I get back. And the others of you that uh, I look forward to meeting the Bonshoffs and also um, uh, the other folks uh, that were mentioned to the cruises. Uh, just good to be with you. What an honor. So in the time that we have, which I've used a great deal of it just now, wanted to share from God's word, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 1. Now, you've not come to a prophecy conference, so I'm not going to stand up here and elucidate to you or to expound to you from this passage about everything that's going to happen in the last days. What I do want to try to focus on, and by the way, one of my favorite theologians is a man from Mississippi named Jerry Clower. And what I learned from Jerry Clower is that you got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And so what I want to preach to you on today is what I believe is the main thing in this passage. By the way, I got my boots on. Hope you noticed that. I got brand new ones for Christmas. Somebody is serious up here. These are the best boots on the table. Now, I like the kids' boots, but I just wanted to commend somebody for actually bringing some boots in that looks like they've been doing something. Um, 
That's pretty impressive right there. But it's great to see these up here. And I told Joe Creech, I was going to wear my boots. I'll be ready to have them on the ground. But we want to keep the main thing, the main thing. So let's look at Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse one. And as I read from this book, remember it's the word of God. God's spirit has inspired it. That means it's without error. It's our only infallible rule of faith and practice. Let's listen. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so we'll ask God to bless this reading of his word. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father in heaven, would you please be kind and gracious inasmuch as we praise you and thank you for this, your written word, that you may reveal to us your truth this very hour. Grant to us, O Lord, grace, that we may discern the things that we need to hear. And please forgive the one who preaches. His sins are many. And so we pray that you will open our eyes that we would see no man except Jesus and him only. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Did you realize that every year 55.3 million people die? That translates into 151,600 every day. 6,316 people die every hour. That's seven people every four seconds. Do you realize this may be your day? This may be my day. This could be the day that any of us may find ourselves ushered suddenly into the presence of God, finding that this earthly life is over. But thousands upon thousands of people will come to the end of life on this very day. How many of them are prepared? How many of them are ready to stand before God? How many of them have any sense at all of the holiness and the justice of God and the provision for sinners through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know the answer to that question, but I know that it's our task to tell them. I know that God has given the church the responsibility to proclaim the gospel of grace to the world, a world that desperately needs to hear it. And as I think about this, I think about those who through the years have taken it so seriously to proclaim this glorious gospel of grace. One that comes to mind is a man by the name of Bones Jenner. 
His name was Frank Arthur Jenner, and he lived in Australia. You may never have heard of him, but quite a remarkable individual. It seems that Mr. Jenner had an unusual way of witnessing the people. He would just simply walk up to people on St. George Street in Sydney, Australia, and he would say something like this. If you died in the next 24 hours, where would you be in eternity? Heaven or hell? Thank you very much. And he would tip his hat and say toodaloo, and off he would go. Now, I went through evangelism explosion. That's not the way they taught us to do that. But Mr. Jenner would do that. He would just walk up to people every day and say, Toodaloo, pardon me, sir. Excuse me, sir. May I ask you a question, sir? If you were to die in the next 24 hours, where would you go? Heaven or hell? Stories about Mr. Jenner began to be told in different places. And uh, Francis Dixon, who was a pastor of a Baptist church in London, began to collect these stories and began to hear them. And another man from the United States, Eugene War, if I remember this correctly, heard from Francis Dixon about this man. He said, that's remarkable. He said, you know, I'm running into people all over the world who have come to know Christ because of this man, Mr. Jenner down in in Sydney, Australia. He said, I would love to meet this man. And so he found himself nearby one time and he made the journey over to Sydney and wanted to meet Mr. Jenner. And he got down to St. George Street and he looked around and he couldn't find him anywhere. And finally he found a vendor there on the street and he asked him if he knew anything about a man named Bones Jenner. And he said, oh yes, I know who that is. He said, He's old and ill now. He's no longer able to get out, but he lives in an apartment not far from here. And so he told the man where it was. The man made his way there. He went upstairs and back into a bedroom. And there was this this elderly man lying in the bed. And and they began to have fellowship together. And the pastor began to tell Mr. Jenner about all the people he'd run into in the world who'd come to know Christ because of him. Do you know that little old man began to weep and cry? He had never known anyone had ever come to faith in Christ because of his witness. Never. But yet he was faithful in as much as God had given him that burden that he would share with people that question. And I wonder how many of us might be prepared to share that. This gospel of the kingdom is to be preached in the whole world. It is the glorious gospel of grace. It is the best news that the world will ever know. And while we read in Matthew chapter 24, we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in all of the details that are happening there. And, and you know, we want to go to these prophecy conferences and figure out how everything's supposed to get unpacked there. You know, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? And, and is there going to be a pre-tribulational rapture, mid-tribulational, post-tribulational, pre-mill, pan-mill? You know, pan-mill, it's all going to pan out in the end. Post-mill. We get all caught up in those issues, but what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that the important thing is not the wars and the famines and the earthquakes and all the disasters that are going to strike. All of these things are a part of living in a world that's under the curse of sin. What you need to pay attention to is that this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in the whole world. At Orangewood Presbyterian Church, you're a part of that. You get to be a part of this glorious movement that originates from the heart of God, wherein the good news of salvation and grace is going to be proclaimed in the whole world. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of and to think of that. And, you know, we even think about that. Here we are up in Waynesville, North Carolina. You know, I get to be among a lot of people who have done a lot of things. And basically, I'm a nobody from nowhere. But I think, you know, in some small way, I get to be a part of this movement What's valuable to you today? I just want to ask the question. What is of value to you today? By the way, I don't want to lose track of time. I don't see a clock anywhere. Do y'all really, I've got a clock. There it is. I see it right there. It matches. Um, 
There's a pastor in our denomination who used to have the habit of taking his watch off and he'd put it on the podium like that, you know? And uh, then when he get through with the message as he was winding up, he would pick his watch up and put it back on. Well, children watch these things, you know, idiosyncrasies. And he was preaching and he's putting his watch back on. People started rustling, you know, it's time to go to lunch. Well, somehow or other, he got so wound up in his conclusion that for reasons unknown to him, he took his watch and put it on the podium again. And there was a little fellow out there named Wyatt who looked up there and he said in a voice that everybody in the sanctuary heard, he said, oh no, daddy, he's starting all over again. So I want to be careful not to do that. But as we think about this grand and glorious opportunity to preach the gospel, I just have to ask you, what's valuable to you? What is it that matters to you? I looked it up. Do you know what the price of gold is right now? I don't have any, so you know, I can look these things up. It's, it's $42 a gram. I wouldn't mind having a pickup truck load of that, would you? But that's less valuable than crack cocaine or methamphetamine. Isn't that something? Plutonium. How about a, how about a barge load of plutonium? That's $4,000 a gram. Isn't that amazing? Diamonds. All right, ladies, how much did he spend on you? A diamond material is about $65,000 a gram. That's about $13,000 per carat. So if you don't have a huge one, you understand, right? Californium 252. I don't even know what this is. I, I used this in a missions conference some years ago. There was a man there who works in a nuclear power plant. And he came up to me. And he said, this is amazing. He said, I work in a nuclear power plant. And he said, one of my responsibilities is, is getting the Californium 252 from the process. And I said, I sure hope I said it right. $27 million per gram. I said, did you have any extra left over that you could share with us? Do you know what the most expensive material known to human beings is? It's something called antimatter. And if you watch Star Trek growing up, you've at least heard of it, but it still doesn't tell you what it is. And I can't explain it to you. It comes through the process of, you know, producing nuclear energy and so forth. Antimatter, theoretically, is $62.5 trillion per ounce. Business Insider estimated its value to be at $100 trillion per ounce. Now, don't tell the federal government they want to borrow money and buy all of it they can find tomorrow. Valuable substances. But that's not the most valuable substance known to human beings, is it? The most valuable substance that this world will ever know was shed on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago when the Son of God gave his life for us. Because all of the antimatter in the world cannot buy for you one second of eternity. But the shed blood of Christ that he gave freely for our sakes at Calvary, that blood cleanses us of every sin. And the gospel that proclaims the good news about Jesus to the world, when we believe on Christ, when we believe that gospel message, we not only have a few seconds in eternity, we have all of eternity. What could possibly be more valuable than that? And so you may not have gold to give. You may not have all the money that you would like to be able to give. But you've got the good news about the most valuable substance that the world will ever know. And God has entrusted that message with you. Do you believe in Jesus? 
Have you come to the place in your life where you've surrendered and where you've recognized that you have fallen short of God's glory and that you are a sinner? Oh, I know it's easy to watch the news this day, isn't it? And look at all those people on television that are sinners. We can see how maybe they need salvation. But have you come to grips with the fact that you need Christ? He's not only for the world, he's for you. And so the the movement of missions begins by people coming into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't want to presume here, even though I'm here at Orangewood Presbyterian Church. Wow, how did that happen? Tell me God doesn't move in mysterious ways. But I don't want to presume that all of you here know Jesus, that you've surrendered your life and are trusting in him. Because this very day, your life may be demanded of you. And if he were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What plea would you make? Would you have an advocate there with you who would be able to say beyond any peradventure of a doubt, this one is with me. The wounds in my hands and my feet, they plead for him. They plead for her. He, she belongs to me. Would he be able to say that about you? And so as we look at this passage and we recognize that all of these monumental things are to happen before the end of the age, it is the proclamation of the gospel that is front and center and that is the most important thing that will occur. That's remarkable because all the world's attention is focused on everything else. I don't know about climate change. I don't, I'm not putting it down. I just don't know the science behind it, but people talk about that a lot. Every time a volcano erupts, people talk about that a lot. Earthquakes, hurricanes. I remember working in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina down on the coast of Mississippi some years ago and seeing that, that devastation. And I thought, wow, is this something of what the end of the world is going to look like? I never will forget a man who was down in the dirt next to the place where his home had been. And we walked up to him and, and said, can we help you? And he said, I'm looking for a picture. I said, what picture are you looking for? He said, it's a picture of my mother. It's the only one I had. And our hearts broke. And we got down with him and we looked and we looked and we looked and we never could come up with it. And I thought about the devastation. But far worse is the devastation when a life ends and the person doesn't know Christ. And so we have people here who are dedicated to taking this gospel message to the world. A message that must be proclaimed everywhere before the end will come. Because it's all about Jesus. We are beneficiaries of the work that Christ has done. A work, or at least the benefits of which are offered to us freely. You know, salvation is something that you receive as a gift. We can't earn it or deserve it. What could we possibly do to earn anything that Christ would do for us? But what we must recognize is that in as much as salvation is free to us, the cost to procure it is inestimable. It required the death of the Son of God. Some years ago, I had a conversation with another minister, and this was strange to me, and we were, we were talking about salvation and about heaven, and he said he ultimately believed that everybody was going to go to heaven. He said he believed that there were many ways, who, many ways to God, many ways to heaven. And I thought to myself, why are you a Christian minister? And he even said he was a minister of the gospel. I thought, why would you claim that title and say something like that? I mean, if, if there were any other possible way to get to heaven, why would God have required that his son die? 
Why would Jesus, when in the garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. For if there had been any other way, I believe the father at that moment would have been required to have answered the prayer of the son and said, my son, it's not necessary. The cup has passed. There is no other way. There is no other possible way. Christ Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes into the father except by him. And church, it is a glorious message that we have to proclaim that is more valuable than anything else in all the world. And we get to know it and share it. And we ought to be everything about that. It's amazing to think, isn't it? But the cross is a difficult thing to grasp. Because after all, when we consider the cross, which is at the heart of the gospel, and we consider that the Son of God had to die, what does that tell us? Well, first of all, it tells us that we're sinners and nobody wants to admit that. We live in an age when people want to basically believe that we're as... You know, we're basically good, right? We're basically good with only a potential for evil. As opposed to saying that we're basically sinners with a potential for good. There's all the world of difference in those two worldviews. People don't want to be told they're sinners, but the cross proclaims to us that we are sinners and that atonement had to be made. It does tell us how serious things are. There was a young lady who was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago who was having to go through treatment in the midst of her illness. And in her blog, as she was undergoing chemotherapy, she wrote this. The seriousness of our human state of sin can be seen in its one and only possible cure, the painful and excruciating death of Jesus Christ. If our sin wasn't so horrible and genuinely repulsive to God, The consequences would be more like a slap on the wrist. But in fact, it is made extremely clear in his word that each and every one of us deserve death and hell itself for eternity. But no, our precious Jesus endured the full wrath of God on our behalf. And then she quotes Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross. And crucified them there. And from Philippians 1, 12 to 14, let us never forget how huge that is. It's important that we do not get used to hearing the gospel. So used to hearing the gospel that we stop allowing its power to impact us the way that it should. And then from Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole world, in essence. That young lady is my daughter, who is seated over here. She was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in August and could not go back to college. And so we had to watch her endure the horrors of chemotherapy as she would go into the room and look perfectly healthy. And within minutes of Those four medicines being infused into her body, the color would drain from her face and she looked like sometimes death itself. The horror of the treatment declared to us the seriousness of her illness. You can't cure cancer with cough medicine. 
I know Robitussin is terrible, but it doesn't measure up to chemotherapy, does it, sweetie? And I want you to know that she is one of my heroes. She courageously and valiantly fought that battle and testified to the goodness of God throughout it. And I don't know how many lives she's touched. So if you don't meet me today, you'll be fine. You ought to introduce yourself to her. The way in which the illness is treated tells us how serious the ailment is. The fact that our sin required the death of the Son of God tells us how serious is the ailment. Nothing else can heal us. Nothing else can raise us. So why would we want to keep this news to ourselves? Why would we not want to give all of our resources and our lives and our passion to proclaiming this gospel of grace that the whole world may know? Isn't it wonderful that Christ is for the whole world? It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what country you've come from, what your ethnicity is, what your background is, what your social economic status is. That doesn't matter. Christ is for the whole world. Christ is for all people. And I know we're Presbyterians here. I'm reformed to the core. Listen, if you cut me, I'll bleed the covenant. I'm not ashamed to be called a Calvinist, but I am reformed. I'm not deformed. I want the world to know about Jesus. I'm going to proclaim his name everywhere. I'll let God do the work of saving the ones he's going to save. My job is to let them know. And it's your responsibility too. And it's not a burden that we carry. It's a privilege that we have that the world would know about Jesus. And people everywhere are coming to know him. Did you ever hear of Jacob DeShazer? Jacob DeShazer wasn't a philosopher. He was a pilot in the Second World War. He flew with Doolittle over the first raids over Tokyo following Pearl Harbor. Jake DeShazer's plane was shot down and he was captured by the Japanese and was held as a prisoner of war for, the, for its duration, for the rest of the war. He was horribly mistreated and abused. He was kept in a cell and, and I can't even begin to describe all that he went through. And what developed within Jake DeShazer during all of that was a horrible type of bitterness. The only thing that kept him alive, he said later, was thinking about how that one day he was going to come back to Japan and get his hands around the throats of his tormentors and throttle them. Until one day, a text of scripture fell into his hands in his holding cell. And he read from the New Testament, how that the Lord Jesus Christ makes all things new. And miraculously, wondrously, amazingly, Jake DeShazer surrendered his life and through repentance, he trusted in Jesus Christ and he became a new creature. And after the war, he did go back to Japan, not to seek revenge, but to proclaim the gospel. And one day, after his story had been written up in a pamphlet, a Japanese gentleman was reading about Jake DeShazer in an airport. His name was Mitsuo Fuchida. Now, you may have never heard of him either, but I believe everyone in here probably has heard of what he did. He was Captain Mitsuo Fuchida, and he was the squadron commander in charge of naval air forces who gave the command on the 7th of December, 1941, when he said, Torah, 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 and 360 Japanese planes bombed our base at Pearl Harbor. And more U.S. sailors died that day than had died in all of the First World War. Mitsuo Fuchida was a hero in Japan because of what he did. But after the war, he was extraordinarily disillusioned. 
as he had come to grips with the defeat of his nation, he had dreamed of a world of peace, but all he could see was continuing war and devastation. Until he read in that pamphlet that Jesus Christ makes all things new. And reading the testimony of Jake DeShazer, he surrendered his life and he became a believer in Christ. And he also became a minister of the gospel. And Mitsuo Fuchida and Jacob DeShazer together proclaimed the gospel throughout Japan. Isn't that amazing? That God would take those who had been bitter enemies in life and by transforming them so that they would become brothers in Jesus Christ, they would proclaim this good news. By the way, the story doesn't end there. I've told that story a number of times. I got it from Dr. D. James Kennedy listening to him on television. I want you to think I actually, I did meet him one time. He shook my hand. He read my name tag and said, hello, Patrick. But that story just really moved me. And, and I was sitting in a, in a uh, blimpy sub restaurant in Waynesville listening to Daniel Boone Messer from Haywood County, who was a Gideon, telling about how he'd come to know Christ. He said he heard these two guys named, uh, named Deshazer and Fuchida sharing their testimony. And he thought, if God could save somebody like that, he could save me. And he became a Christian. He said, but the thing is, he said, I've, I've never met the man who got that meeting together. He said he was an American pastor with a German sounding name. Would you believe that we found out later the man who organized that meeting was living in Waynesville at 97 years old. And after all of those years, God answered Daniel's prayers and allowed him to meet the pastor, Harold Borchard, who had gotten Fuchida and DeShazer together for the meeting. And Dan Messer came to know Jesus and he ended up becoming a Gideon and giving out scriptures all across uh, Europe and behind the Iron Curtain when there was still an Iron Curtain there. Well, I'm giving you a bunch of stories. What I'm trying to tell you is we're about something that really matters here. As Jesus has transformed lives and changed us to our very core, he has given us this, this gospel that is of inestimable value so that we may have it as our own and so that we both may proclaim it to the world. And we are to proclaim it to the whole world. Jesus makes that clear. It isn't for us to decide where and when it is to go. It is for us to be faithful in proclaiming it everywhere. And as we put this together with what we understand God said in the Old Testament, as the children of Israel were entering the promised land, as he was giving instructions to Joshua just after Moses' death, we come to realize that God being consistent in his word is really giving us the same instructions that he gave to Joshua of old. For it says in Joshua chapter one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Everywhere the sole of your foot will tread upon. So why do we talk about boots on the ground? Because the way that the gospel is spread is by people actually going to those places and proclaiming the gospel. It comes by putting our feet on the ground. Now, they may look like these really legitimate work boots here. It might look more like these. It could even look like these. Or what about the little one that would wear these? 
Do you think it's possible that someone this young could proclaim the good news of Jesus, that someone might come to a saving knowledge? I can tell you it can happen. I saw it in our preschool at our previous church when a little one went home one day and started sharing about a song learned. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the parents came to church that following Sunday with tears in their eyes, both of them saying, you know, I never really thought about the fact that Jesus could love somebody like me. It can happen. Or these, or these, or these, or just look down at your own shoes. What about those? Where would God have you to walk and put the soles of your feet that somebody may see what a Christian looks like, may hear what a Christian talks like, and may be able to hear the good news of Jesus. You don't have to go to seminary and learn or memorize systematic theology. Maybe like Bones Jenner, you could just simply say to somebody, you know, if you were to die in the next 24 hours, do you know where you would go? That could start an interesting conversation, couldn't it? But that's the gospel that we have to proclaim. And Orangewood, it starts right here with you. Jesus has been gracious and exceedingly kind to save sinners like us, but he's not done yet. The work is still going on. How do I know that? Because I don't hear a trumpet and I don't hear the shout of the archangel. Until I hear those things, I know the work is to continue. I can't stop because I'm watching the news and I see that the government is shut down or that our leaders can't get along in Washington. If we're waiting for them to get along, well, I won't go there. Sometimes I keep praying that the adults are going to show back up and take over, but that's just me. And if I've offended you, well, no, I'm not sorry either. Never mind. (laughs) Until the trumpet sounds, until the shout comes from heaven, we know there's still a job to do. By the way, that pastor that I mentioned to you, Harold Borchert, he became a very dear friend in his last years. He had a plaque on his wall in in Japanese, which means, Robert and Lisa, I couldn't read it. But I asked him what it was. It was a very rude-looking plaque. It was rough-hewn. He'd gotten it in a prison. When he was a missionary in Japan between 1952 and 1967, one of the things that he did was minister in prisons there. And he was preaching in a prison, and he was proclaiming, that one day there was going to be this great resurrection when the shout occurred. And this man got very animated. He became very animated. He was waving his hands and said, no, 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 in Japanese. And Pastor Borchert stopped his message and he said, what's wrong? He said, you don't understand. He said, this whole prison's built on a cemetery. He said, if there's going to be a resurrection, this whole floor is going to break up. And then what are we going to do? Well, he just stopped his sermon. He began having a conversation with that man right there in the service. And before long, the man understood the gospel. He surrendered his life to Christ. He became a Christian. And others in that prison became a Christian too. Christians too. And uh, so when Pastor Borchert left Japan, the, the prisoners in that prison fashioned him a plaque. And it says in Japanese, until the floor breaks up. That's how it works, folks. Until... The floor breaks up. Do you believe God can use you? Listen, I'm standing up here in front of you. If he can use me, he can use anybody. I was uh, 
hoping to go in the Air Force. I wanted to be a pilot. And then I found out you had to know things like math. <laughs> It'd actually be good at it. And my math teacher just shook her head at me. And um, I had given a speech at school running for student body president, Tuscola High School, Haywood County. And I won. I was leaving the auditorium that day and I was thinking, wow, you know, president, maybe Congress. And Joe Creech, please don't report me to my presbytery. But as I was walking out of the auditorium that day, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard a voice in my spirit that just simply said, what are you going to do with it? And sometime later, I was a deacon in our church by the time I was finishing up my senior year in high school. I don't know how that happened. And I've always felt like I'm just a deacon who got promoted really a little beyond where I should have been. Although I don't think being an elder is a promotion. Deacons, if you're here, I admire you. You're the ones who do the work around here. I can say that since I get to leave on Wednesday, right? I went into our church sanctuary one night. There was a street light shining brightly enough through the stained glass window. I was able to sit there and open up our hymnal to number 58. And I was thinking, God, what do you want? Why would you want me? What? I don't want to be a preacher. I never wanted to be a preacher. You know, I'd show up at church when I was a little boy dressed up in a coat and tie. And people say, you look like a preacher. And that made me mad. I didn't like that. <laughs> and I was sitting there in the pew just thinking... Why would you possibly want to use someone like me? I don't understand. And for some reason, the hymnal opened up at number 58, and I began to read, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. And by the time I got to the last verse, I was absolutely just wrecked and shattered. When I read, Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I leave that with you because I believe it just may be that God would have it to be your boots that are on the ground before this year is over. That maybe you would be the one who would answer the call And be more than the 1% that I believe in and am praying for that God will send forth from the PCA to the world. That a witness of this gospel may be proclaimed throughout it. Please think about that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are amazing and you are wonderful and you are good beyond anything that we can possibly fathom. And as we give you praise, we thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we think about and pray for his glorious return, oh God, would you please raise up from Orangewood Presbyterian Church an army of those who would have their boots on the ground, beginning here, in these neighborhoods, on these streets, in this part of Florida, But Lord, let it not stop there. Send them out across this nation and around the world. That wherever this church goes, whether in the person of one individual or a whole group, may the world hear from Orangewood 
that Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and the savior of sinners. And may you bless them beyond anything they could possibly imagine as they come to know you in order to make you known. For we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.